0: Welcome to Lilypod episode ninety one Hope and Miracles with Heidi Tucker <music> Jeff and Kathy Tykert bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships.
1: Welcome Lillipod listeners to another episode of Lillipod, uh, where we talk to mid-singles and later married couples about uh, the challenges and opportunities in their lives. And today we have a, a guest uh, who has some insight on the issues that many of us face, uh, Heidi Tucker, who's the author of a couple of books. And Kathy, you can go ahead and introduce her and tell, her, tell us more about
0: Heidi. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about hope and miracles today, so stay tuned. Heidi Tucker is an award-winning author and speaker. She has won multiple Best Inspirational Awards for her books, which include Bridge of Miracles, The Secret Keepers, Finding Hope in the Journey, and Sir V's Song. Her passion for writing, speaking about light and hope has inspired thousands. Heidi is known as a great storyteller who believes that every story not only teaches an important principle, but can make you feel it. She has inspired many to rise up, cling to their faith, and position their hearts to recognize God's hand in their life. When Heidi isn't writing her next book or speaking at a conference, you'll find her spending time outdoors with her husband, four grown children, and 11 grandchildren. She loves sunflowers, hiking, and ice cream—not necessarily in that order. Welcome, Heidi Tucker. Thank you. So good to be here.
1: Heidi, um, you wrote a book called *Bridge of Miracles* that you wanted to talk about today. And um, pardon me if I butcher the name. Is it is it a biography of Amram Masungu? Very
2: good. Very okay. good.
1: <laughs> All right. So, um, tell us a little about. Amram, um, kind of give us an, an overview of his story.
2: So Amram was a poor, um, barefoot boy living in the slums of Nairobi, Africa, uh, in Kenya. And he grew up um, believing in prayer, believing that God heard everything that he uttered. He, he had learned that from his mother. And when he met, met the missionaries at the age of 14... He was intrigued by their um, wanting to have, have a discussion about Jesus Christ. And so he talked with them and that completely changed his life. Um, he's, he soon became aware of these missionaries and what they had done education-wise in the United States and elsewhere. And he made a conscious decision that he wanted to change his life um, coming out of the slums and really make a difference in the world in his own way. And so he was he was able to do that on a string of miracles. I mean, if you can imagine um, this poor boy, how would he do that? How would he have the money for a visa? How would he be able to get a passport? How would he afford the plane fare? You know, all of these things that are set up in his life. And so this is a true story that takes you from him as a child all the way to the journey to the United States. And eventually he puts a bid in for president of Kenya in 2017, because he wants to go back and help those people. And so it's really, it's about miracles and hope. And how does it how do you get from point A to point B? I mean, it was such a huge leap of faith and a huge jump. How could that happen to in anybody's life? And so it chronicles his life and we learn so, so many principles because of that in, in learning about his life and really what makes this man tick.
1: So I, I have a, I, I was intrigued when he, or you wrote about his baptismal ceremony, and he was afraid on the day of his baptism that he might instantly die in the water.
2: Exactly. So yeah. you
1: want to explain that?
2: Yeah. In the Pentecostal faith, which he had been a member of um, up until that age of 14, he had been taught that if you are baptized in another faith, um, that you will die, you will be struck dead. But he had such, um, such a testimony from really working with the missionaries that he believed that he needed to do this. He wanted to follow Christ and be baptized. And so he agreed to do that. And so in the in the story, you know, you're reading as he's climbing up the ladder up on the side of the water tank, which is where they baptized these members these new members in kenya they were the, some of the first members and um he thinks he may um you know be going climbing to his death he he there's a part of him that thinks is that really going to happen you know the missionaries have told him no it's not going to but <laughs> he didn't tell his family about his baptism because he he was he didn't want them to witness his potential death right So he's baptized, he's, he's submerged in the water. And when he comes up, the first thing he does is feel his chest. He's, he wants to feel his heartbeat and he, he recognizes that he's still alive and that's just an incredible joy. But I mean, what incredible faith he had to do that at the age of 14. That's just so incredible to me that he took that huge step of faith and wanting in wanting to follow the the savior just as the missionaries had taught him
0: yeah and to believe the missionaries that he wouldn't die right and right. none of us I, I don't think anyone listening probably has experienced that when we got baptized it was an act of faith but a different kind right it was to follow god not to p- potentially <laughs> like to completely give up your life for yeah. the savior yeah wow. yeah that's incredible
1: so there's this, this song, I think, that inspired him at an early point. I wander through the still of night when solitude is everywhere, alone beneath the starry light, and yet I know that God is there. I kneel upon the grass and pray, and answer comes without a voice. It takes my burden all away and makes my art- aching heart rejoice. W- where does that come from? Do you remember?
2: Um, I don't remember. I don't have it in front of me. Um, is that a hymn? Is it listed where you see it? Is it a hymn?
1: Uh, I see it in chapter one and it's not listed as a hymn, but he d- it does say that um, Amram uh, liked to sing from his soul, that his father had enthusiasm yeah. for music and so forth.
2: Right. His father was um, a, a teacher of music in that Pentecostal faith. And so he grew up singing. He grew up singing and that became a real, um, you know, religious expression of his faith to sing. And so he adopted those words as a child. And then, of course, on his mission, he was introduced to the Tabernacle Choir because some of the elders that came over would play Tabernacle Choir songs and it would just fill his heart and soul he just couldn't believe what he would hear and it was so incredible and it buoyed him up and eventually we learn in his story that he actually sings for the tabernacle choir for 12 years and what an incredible journey that was one that he never saw coming you know he thinks back to his days in kenya when he heard them on it wasn't even a cd it was a cassette tape and he thinks back to those times where he would hear them sing and here he was sitting in a choir singing with those voices and it was such an emotional moment for him to do that and um, an incredible missionary effort for people in kenya to see the first native african ever to sit to be there right with all of these other people and to be singing praises to god with that choir in salt lake city utah
0: I remember seeing him on TV every six months yeah, for a while. And, right. and then we got to meet him and you recently mm-hmm. when you dropped these books by our house. That was so fun. Yeah. When we do uh, firesides and things together,
2: I often say to the congregation, okay, Amram is someone that you you probably have never met before, but you have seen him. <laughs> because if you've watched any general conference during that 12-year 12, 12 span of time, you saw him as those cameras panned the choir you saw him Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah i remember that
1: so i i have a question um you said that there were seven miracles in his story at least that we know of um would you like to sort of summarize and, and go in a little more depth on those
2: um yes i mean we can talk about a few of those miracles um the, one of the incredible miracles is that when he says, ser- first of all, he serves a mission when he's 17 years old.
1: Mm. He had
2: brought so many prospective members to the missionaries as they were teaching after he was baptized, that they had to actually move those lessons from the missionary apartment to a a, a house that the church was renting for meeting purposes. And he would fill it. I mean, he would just bring so many people from the streets. He just went out into the streets and talked to anybody that would listen to him about Jesus Christ. And so he became this incredible missionary. And in that, um, ultimately, the mission president, which I'm not sure this is done very often, the mission president in Kenya slapped a badge on him and said, I call you to be a full-time missionary of the church. Because he didn't have um, any ability to do that on his own. He had filled out the paperwork, but nobody had, he was anticipating that he would be called at the age of 19. But um, he so was he so in so much. In
1: Kenya.
2: Yes, in Kenya. Okay. And he also went to Zambia and um, some other areas to surrounding that in that, within that same mission. But um, and was it so, earlier
0: than 19
2: or? He began serving full-time at the age of 17. Wow. Because he was bringing so many members into the church that the, the mission president just said, I, you know, I'm calling you to a mission. We're going to just do this right here and now. And so he moved, you know, from the slums, he moved um, to the, the mission home and they got him the right clothing and some shoes, right, and a suit and a white shirt. And he began to serve. And what's so fascinating about his life is that he begins to serve that mission with the one of the elders who converted him, and what what a full circle moment for that elder. He was in his last month of service, and he was able to serve with Amram, and that was just incredible. But the missionary, but but some of the miracles that go forward from, and in addition to that, is just, um, for example, the the need to get one of the the visa. You know, how do I get money for a visa? He had been approved when so many before him had been rejected. He had no money. He had no finances. He had an acceptance letter from what was then LDS Business College, is now Ensign College. He had an acceptance letter, but he had no money to make that happen. And so we go through the story and we we see the miracles that set that up. For example, there was um, a time where he was he had been accepted for the visa. But the person in the office said, to him, which is a miracle in itself, because everybody in front of him had been turned down and there just was mass crying in the office because nobody is being accepted and they accept him with no finances and just this letter of acceptance. And so he he she says to him, you can come back tomorrow and pick up your visa. Well, he needs fifty dollars. You know, he doesn't have anything. He's still living in the slums. He has nothing. And so, and this is after he had served his mission there. And so, but he, he was a legend in the area. And so the missionaries would continue to come to him, even after he had finished his full-time service, they would come to him and say, can you go out with us in the Mm -hmm. streets and help us, you know, as we find members. And he never turned those opportunities down. So he's in this real, you know, difficult situation where he needs the money to pick up the visa and um, he knows he needs the money and he's worried that they're just going to discard the visa because he doesn't have the money to pick it up. And so one day these missionaries come and they say, "Will you go out with us. And he's he's thinking to himself, I really should be out in the streets, you know and maybe knocking on doors of city officials and, and pleading for this money. But instead, he decides, I'll go out with the missionaries instead. And they have with them an American who has gone to Kenya on safari. And during that trip, he contacted the mission home and said, I would like to go out and tract with the missionaries. And they agreed that he could do that just for the day. And he was along with those missionaries. And Amram explained his situation to the missionaries and to this visitor who was just there for the day, that he needed this money to make this happen. And he said to him, the the American said to him, well, how much do you need? And he said, I need $50. And the American said, that's all, you know, to make your dream come true and to get to the United States, you only need $50. That's all. And he said, yes. And so that he reached into his pocket and said, here's your $50. You know, just incredible, right? Just incredible. Things like that happened along his life. Um, When he was serving his mission, He had a grandmother that was, I can't remember how old she is, but she's something like 107 or 104 or something like that. And um, he goes back to his village and she, he was certain that she would die when he was out serving for that two years. And he goes back to his village, which has never had any contact with the church. They don't understand the priesthood. And he comes into the village and they say to him, you know, your grandmother is still alive. And it's this incredible, you know, thing that she has waited for you. And he goes in to see her. And with his priesthood, he said it was the first priesthood blessing that anyone in that village had ever received. And he gave his grandmother a priesthood blessing and and essentially released her. And um, she died later that day after he had been able to have a, a very heartfelt conversation with her. And um, th- those kind of miracles just continue through his life. When, when he gets off the plane in Salt Lake City, he has $50 in his pocket left over from having raised the money through um, visiting political government offices. His cute little village you know, sold their vegetables and volunteered to give some money to him. It's, it's amazing that he was able to... Th- those are miracles of people that had given him some money for the for the airfare, because it was so expensive to get to the United States. And when he finally gets there, he only has $50 left over. He doesn't know where he's going to live. He doesn't know where he's going to eat. Right. Nothing. He has no tuition money. He just knows that he's there. And he remembers in the airport that there was um a, a couple that had served in the Kenyan mission that knew him, that had signed his journal. And so it's this thought, isn't it? This is always the way, right? Is we just have a thought. So he has this thought, open up your journal. And so he opens up his journal and there is the name of this missionary couple. And they have put down their phone number in Utah where they live. And so he calls, you know, from the airport. I can't remember which airport it was, but he calls from the airport somewhere internationally and says, I'm on my way to Salt Lake City. Do you remember me? I'm Amram, you know, and they say, of course, we remember you. And he says, I've been accepted to the university there, but I have no place to go. And so they agree that they will pick him up. And they housed him for a couple of months while he got his feet on the ground. So he got on the plane and he figured it out. He got on the plane with, with the clothes on his back you know, his scriptures and $50 in his pocket. And that's what's so incredible about Amram is he just has this faith that the Lord is going to somehow provide. He and doesn't he know does. how, but it's it's going to happen. And then God does. And then God does. But what's so amazing about Amram is he doesn't just sit in bed with the covers pulled up to his chin, trying to pray his circumstances away. He gets out and he works for it. You know, I mean, he believes that, that, that there are miracles and that the Lord is going to provide for him, but he's out there beating the streets, working for it and making it happen. So, you know, when I talk at firesides and conferences about hope, um, hope is something that we need. It's, a, it's an action word. It's something that we need to strive for. It's not something that we can just pray for something. It's not wishful thinking. It's so much bigger than that. It's having, um, you know, a real, a confident expectation and a longing for a promised blessings. And if we have that, we are out working towards that. We are doing the best that we can with what we have.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'd like to maybe bring in just a a point here for all of the mid-singles out there who are, you know, wondering like what, where to go and how to move forward with their lives. And I remember when I was dating and I so desperately wanted to have a forever companion, a successful marriage, you know, and have a better experience than I'd had before, that the best thing I did for that circumstance to change was to do what I felt inspired to do that had nothing to do with dating. Even though I was intentionally dating, I... I got inspiration to sell my home, to go back to my maiden name, to get to the temple more often. And those things ultimately led Jeff and I to get back together, get married and move forward with our lives together. And I, and he did the same thing that same year when we weren't dating and it was independent of each other and everything we did kind of miraculously morphed into all the things we needed to do to be prepared. Yeah, it falls
2: things begin to fall into place, right? Mm -hmm. And the world, the world's name for that is coincidence. Mm. That coincidences bring us together at the right time. But I think that God is in the very, very small details that might have nothing to do with finding an eternal companion, right? In your mind, you're thinking that that's not what I'm praying for. Why would I feel that prompting to do that? Why should I work on myself? I want to be looking out, you know, mm-hmm. when sometimes we need to do some in, some internal work. And so really, we have to have such an open heart for those kind of glimmers of hope that Heavenly Father so desperately wants us to feel. And it may not look like or feel like anything that we predicted mm-hmm. For ourselves absolutely And we wonder and how it
0: fits and sometimes the revelation is someone in our one of our uh, women's groups um said sometimes it's contradictory revelation or it's seemingly contradictory mm-hmm. and yet you f- you follow it with faith and you test it out and it leads you exactly where god wants you and where you need to be and where you know you need to be right and, right. and yeah and if the world calls it coincidence i used to call it spiritual synchronicities and then Mm -hmm. there was that conference talk that then brought a new term which is divine design yes exactly
1: you know i think um when i think about what what you said about Amran's story on arriving here with 50 bucks in his pocket and and pretty much nothing else except a phone number he really needed um you know i think about what jesus said in in the new testament you know um how did he put it take no thought for um what you shall eat or what you shall put on or whatever you know right Um, and uh and he sort of assures them god will provide what you need Mm -hmm. and uh I, i think it's I remember that movie back in the eighties that we had when I was on my mission called how rare a possession. And the first story in it is about Parley P. Pratt as he finds the gospel and he's telling his brother, I, I know I'm, I don't have the authority to minister in holy things, but I feel duty bound to sell my farm, my orchard, everything else to, uh, and, and go out into the world and, and, preach the gospel as much as God has provided you know has has enlightened me to do that and his brother says to him well you've toiled years to obtain all this fine home fine orchard great farm if I were you I would stay here and enjoy it while I lived why you know why leave it all and and he says do you believe in the bible and and his brother says I believe in the Bible. I wouldn't dare believe it literally. <laughs> and I think for a lot of us,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's, it's nice to look at it and look at the stories in the Bible or the Book of Mormon or other scriptures and say, um, yeah, I believe that. But if you have to believe it literally, that's a lot harder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, and it sounds like in in Amram's case, it was, you know, God will lead me in the right direction, even right. though I'm walking blindfolded across the freeway. You know?
2: Yeah, one of one of the great principles that that his story reinforces for me is what I call patience in His timing, meaning Heavenly Father's timing. That's such a hard thing for us, right? Whether we're single and trying to find, you know, someone great to share our lives with or anything else in our life, something, a righteous desire of our heart. So often we're praying for really righteous desires of our heart. And we think, I know this is a good thing. Why isn't Heavenly Father answering this now? Right? Mm-hmm. And so it's this, it's this patience in his timing. It's this whole array of lessons that we are learning during that incredibly uncomfortable time to be patient and to trust that God sees the big view. He has the panoramic vision and we have, we are tunnel visioned at mm-hmm. best. And so it's, it's stepping back, understanding that God has heard your prayers for those righteous desires of your heart, but being patient in his timing, that perhaps he's lining things up. And that's where those Seemingly, you know, crazy things. Those promptings or things that we think that we need to be doing in our lives that have nothing to do with that righteous prayer. We think, why am I feeling like I should go that direction? Well, that's lining things up. You know, we may feel like everything in our life is falling apart, but perhaps they're being lined up in a way that we couldn't even predict for something that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And he's such a great example of that. I mean, they're just, he doesn't put time limits on anything. I mean, even, even now I'll say, Amram, what are you going to do next? And he says, well, I'm his answer. His honest, heartfelt answer is I'm waiting for the Lord to open the next door. Hmm. You know, are you going to go back to Kenya? Are you going to run again for president? Are you going to stay here? You know, what, what is your plan? He he doesn't have an answer because he's waiting for the Lord to open the door. That's how he, that's how he runs his life. It's just incredible. And we have so much to learn from him.
1: Huh. So uh, of the seven, let's see, have you given us all of the miracles or were there more?
2: Um, I, you know, there's, well, there's more. I mean, there's miracles. There's the miracle of his, um, his little boy being sick in the ICU at Primary Children's Hospital. And he, it appears he's been there for a couple of months with a terrible virus that has attacked his heart. And it appears that he is dying. And so the doctors call he and his wife and say, you need to, you need to get here to the hospital right away. You know, his blood pressure is sky high, the the baby's blood pressure is sky high, and they feel like, you know, they're, they're losing him. And so Amram has a thought. Here we go again, right? It's this thought that says, go grab the CD of the Tabernacle Choir singing primary songs. Amram was on that. He helped record that CD with the Tabernacle Choir, and he used to play it in his home for his children. So he has this thought, go grab the CD. At a time where he should be bursting out the door, right, to run to the hospital, he's he's scrummaging through CDs to find the primary song CD that he has recorded with the Tabernacle Choir. And he says to the doctor, do you have a CD player that I can use? And, and he says, I think we can find one here at the hospital. He says, okay, find it. I'll be right there. And so he gathers his wife and his children, and they run to the, rush to the ICU and primary children's. He takes that CD and he, he turns on a, one of his, little, his children's favorite songs that the Tabernacle Choir sang. And he hits play and the music begins to fill that nursery at Primary Children's. And the doctors are all standing around because this is a critical moment for this little boy's life. And as the as the Tabernacle Choir begins to sing, the blood pressure begins to drop. They had tried every modern medicine known to be able to make that happen and nothing was working. They were losing him. But when that choir began to sing from that CD, the blood pressure dropped and all of his vitals were stable. And so, you know, whether they were LDS or not, I mean, the, the doctors and the nurses in that nursery had tears streaming down their face as they witnessed what clearly was a miracle because there, there was no medical sense for that to take place. And so it just was incredible. And so Amram shows us in all of these miracles that often it's just a quiet thought.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he, but he, there's action on his part. He doesn't let a, he doesn't let a quiet thought pass without taking action.
0: And there's was swift action. Yes. And In intentional courtship. One of the, my favorite things I wrote, and I don't even remember it verbatim, but it's something to the effect of that. If we want the results that our spiritual impressions are meant to make, we need to act quickly. We need mm-hmm. to act in a timely manner. Um, right. It's written better in the book. But that's the yeah. gist of it. And that's what you're saying is like he not only acts, but he acts. He acts on it right away.
2: Yes, yes. But I think that um, Heavenly Father understands, doesn't he, that we are just scattered. We are scattered and we are distracted. And often in my own life, um, I have felt a thought like that and dismissed it and it comes back again. Mm -hmm. And to the point that I've even heard it sometimes three times. And on the third time, I say, okay, I got it this time. And I, and I react and I take action on it, but sometimes in all of our stubbornness, right. And we feel like we know best and we know what, where we should be headed and what should we should be doing. And we're making our own decisions and, you know, our spirit is screaming with something else. And sometimes it takes a couple of times to really hear it and to act
0: on it. And I appreciate you saying that because uh, three times ago I felt the need to renew our temple recommends and I didn't act on it, didn't act on it. And Uh now we have this opening in our schedule tonight unexpectedly. And it would have been like a a little miracle because we really need to get to the temple. Like I like really need to get there. And I didn't, we didn't know that that was going to become an urgent matter, right? but that spiritual prompting did. And I didn't like, I didn't follow through um now I've followed through but it's it's too late for now but we'll get there like within the week well you've learned from it right That's <laughs> yeah. what it's all about I need is to follow
2: learn. my own advice <laughs> right we learn we continue I mean the, the learning never ever stops really truly and and that's why we're here but um you know as a as an inspirational writer I only write people's true stories that's what I do because I just feel like they have, such an opportunity to teach us such incredible lessons um, and, and they make us feel it. You know, when you read a story and you're invested in that character and you're invested in their story and what's happening in their, in their lives, you feel what they're going through. And so you feel that principle as you see it displayed in the story. Definitely. Yeah. And one of the, one of the great things that I know from really hard things that happen to people that are just devastating is that, um, I think that we gain, um, gifts through what I call the face plants of life. Mm. You know, we, (laughs) we find ourselves in a face plant and whether that's a divorce or a death in the family or physical or emotional or spiritual crises in our life, we find ourselves face down in the mud and we roll around a little bit and at some point we which i think we should i think we need to roll around a little bit right and feel all of that but at some point in that process we find the strength to get on our knees and we begin to pray to our heavenly father within that struggle and he gives us the strength to at some point stand up on our feet wipe the mud off of our face and take one step forward and guess what you have a new gift When you're able to take one step forward out of that mud puddle that you've been in, you have new perspective and new empathy for something that you've never had before because you've been there and you've felt it. And so what is the mission now? Well, the mission now is that you've grown, you've gained a strength, you've gained a gift, and now you're going to take a step forward and a second step and a third step. And in that process, You'll begin to usually reach out and help others who have been in a similar mud puddle.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you're able to reach out and make a real difference. And I think that's a big reason that we're here is to make a real difference for others. And to be able to do that, we have to suffer a little bit in some yeah. of these trials that we're going through.
0: That's because, a great thing. Yeah, that's the
2: catalyst. That's yeah. the catalyst of growth. And then of moving forward and reaching out to to pull everybody else up that
0: trail that feels so
2: difficult at that time.
0: And that's a great visual for the, the saying our mess is our message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that.
1: What do you mean by pray more often than you brush your teeth?
2: (laughs) I mean, I think often, and don't we all need to practice that our entire life Um, for me? The morning prayer and the prayer at 1030 at night or 11 o'clock at night when I've crashed my head onto my pillow, those are necessary prayers. And I see those as gratitude prayers. And um, they are important. It's important to feel gratitude for the blessings that we have in our life. But I think what's critically important for our relationship with the Savior is that we need to pray and have a real conversation setting ourselves up for two-way communication. I don't know about you, but at 10 30 at night, I'm not ready to receive. I am I am done. I'm yeah. done for the day. So down. I have to carve out another time in the day, you know, whether it's driving to work or driving to an appointment with the radio off whether it's hiking, I love to get outdoors because I need to get away from my to-do lists, which appear all over my house on the walls that nobody else sees. <laughs> it's getting away from my computer and from marketing and all of that stuff. And to just get outside and to just walk or to hike and to have that conversation with my Heavenly Father where I I talk to him about the joys that I'm feeling. I talk to him about my concerns, what, what I'm afraid of, um, you know, what I, what I, the desires of my heart, all of it, I talk about it and, and I'm happy and I'm crying, you know, all the emotions are right there and it's a very vulnerable moment. And um, those, that kind, that depth of a prayer does not happen for me in the early morning and late at night. I have to carve that out in my life. And so in addition to that, I think praying more often than you brush your teeth is also Sort of carrying that prayer in your heart, softening your heart and and making it wide open to say, "Okay, show me what I need to see today, help me see it, help me hear something, help me fear help me feel something if it's something that I need to act on and um so it's it's all of that together, and it's that's much more often than brushing your teeth <laughs>
1: yeah. So to, to follow on that, you talk about find your channel and recognize a response. And I assume that those two are related concepts for you. But could you talk about about those things? Because you talked about a conversation with God, you right. know, hiking in the mountains or whatever. And I, I also find that to be really careful, uh, really yeah. helpful. But as we talk about recognizing a response and, and finding your channel, maybe you could. Right on that.
2: Yeah, that kind of goes along with what I was just saying. And I, I was talking to someone once and he said, you know, where are your best prayers? And I said, on a hike. And he said, you're kidding. Like, I am sweaty and hating every minute of hikes when I do it. I can't believe that you can that you can do that. And so that doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me to be out in nature really just hones me into my channel to have that conversation and to open myself up. When I hike, I don't play music in my ears. That would be really fun to do that. Um, And in some ways it would make the hike easier, you know, during, during really strenuous parts of that, but I want to be wide open. I want to be wide open to a random thought that just beelines out of nowhere. Right. And it just hits me and I have a thought. And generally that gets my attention. When I get a thought that is so unexpected and not related to anything that I'm doing, it gets my attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and- if it's really random. And so where is that channel for you? Find out. Is it on a chair on the back porch? Is it driving to work with the radio off? You know, is it in a certain place in your bedroom that you sit and just carve out a, a piece of time to, to really have that a conversation like you would have with a, a really close best friend? Right, where you're not afraid to share your true feelings. Our prayers can be messy. They can be messy and we can be crying and we can be angry, but I think they need to be really honest. And I think when we begin to practice that, going to your channel and finding that place, I call it also my space. When I find my space, then that can be an incredible benefit in your life because you learn to trust the Lord. Because you say, okay, I'm, I'm open and I'm willing to hear. And when that is rewarded, you know, obviously not every day that I hike, do I receive something? You know, most days it's crickets. You hear nothing. But I practice it. I continue to practice it. And um, I can give you an example from, from my first book, Finding Hope in the Journey. I talk about a time when I was scuba diving and I went down and we were all, you know, way deep, 100 feet below the surface of the ocean. And we got into a a stairwell as I was wreck diving with a group of people in very narrow circumstances down a spiral staircase where it went down, down, down. So we're head down, fins up, right? We're scuba diving down in the very belly, the bottom belly of this ship. And so we're upside down and we stopped because someone in the front's regulator hose had been wrapped around a piece of metal. And so... So we are all hanging upside down, single file in a narrow staircase. I can't even turn around to look at the person behind me because we're in such tight quarters. And you you, you feel this little sense of panic because we shouldn't be stopped and we don't know why. So I found my space or I found my channel because I had done that on land, which I highly recommend, right? Practice that on land, not 100 feet below the ocean. But I went, I went to my space and I trusted that my heavenly father was going to be there. And immediately I heard in my mind, cut your breathing in half. And so I did that. I began really slow, methodical, deep, deep breaths, which number one, it conserved my air. And number two, it prevented me from going into a full-blown panic. And then eventually, you know, the person in front who we couldn't even see, she untangled herself. There was a flashlight that had gone out. There was all kinds of chaos up in the front of the line. And we eventually moved forward, came to the surface. But I recognized, you know, that night, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, I found my space, you know, even a hundred feet below the surface of the ocean, because I I had practiced that for, for so many months and years in my life that I trusted that I was not alone down in that dark water.
0: You know, I I really love how you're explaining this with finding your channel um, because President Nelson's been asking us for a long time to know how we feel the spirit, like to be really mm-hmm. aware of how we do. And I think we're all different. And so finding yes. our own channel is tuning into what we came with, what, how we connect best. I know for me, even though I don't even like driving for whatever reason, that's where I get most of my inspiration. I think it's because I'm moving and I'm kind of a little bit subconscious because like I'm driving and I'm doing the things that you need to do to drive. But my, my subconscious, I think is a little bit more Mm -hmm. open and yeah, um, so and it's interesting that you said, I know it's not for me. And it's not in the morning, it's not lasting at night. And I know a lot of people who do gratitude prayers for the same reason. Um, and not just for that, but just to raise their height, their vibrational energy after a long right. day. Right. And also to um to be in a space of even appreciating themselves for what they did do, because we always have more to do than we can do. And sometimes mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we can think, oh, I didn't get all this stuff done, but instead we can think I did these things and it felt good. And I felt like I was, you know, on the Lord's errand and I was doing what I felt inspired to do. And you know what? That's enough.
2: Yeah. It's done. Yeah. The greatest thing we can do is recognize how the Lord speaks to us. Mm -hmm. There's, there's just nothing greater than that. I mean, that is going to set your path when it needs to be, when you hit a fork, it's going to help you, you know, know what, which way to go. And now it's not going to be immediate right? I don't get answers all of the time, but um, I'm getting better at recognizing those promptings that I need to act on.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, um, in terms of finding your channel, I'm, you know, I'm sort of resonating with what you're saying. And I, Kathy could tell you that I used to say to her when I was single, that the Alpine Loop was my sacred grove. Yeah. And uh, there's this place Uh, a little ways up American Fort Canyon where you can pull off and be in the middle of the woods with um, a couple of picnic tables there. And I used to like to, to drive up there and um, spread my scriptures out on, on that table and uh, journal, read my scriptures, pray, think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was one of my channels. And I, you know, I thought I don't have, A sacred grove in this area where we live. And I guess I need to find one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because that's something I miss, actually.
2: Right. Right. But don't you don't you believe that that when you enter that area, don't you feel like the Lord was like, okay, he's open. Right. He's open. And if the timing is right, if the timing is right, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. Now, does that mean you're going to hear it 10 times in a row that you go there? No. But when the timing and when everything lines up and things are the way that they're supposed to happen, you're going to hear
0: it. And I think the Lord knows that if you set it up like that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And the other thing I pay attention to is when I feel the spirit from head to toe, it doesn't happen very often. So when it does, I pay attention to those moments. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't make sense, I know there's a reason. It's drawing my attention to something. Right, right. I think
2: often we hear stories of... um, you know, incredible, miraculous, what visually looks like this huge miracle, you know, whether it's like fireworks or earthquake or, you know, these huge monumental moments. And so often it's just a whisper, quiet thought, but sometimes it's hard. You know, that's where we, we don't, we shouldn't be comparing, but sometimes we, we read stories of people who have these huge events that are just They just solidify exactly what they need to do. And you think to yourself, I've never had something that big happen in my life, you know, and that can be a little bit of a faith crisis, but really it's, it's individual. It's an individual way that we seek and feel the spirit.
0: And it seems like more often it's in the little things, it's in those small details that make all the difference. Yeah, for
1: sure you, um, one of your points in in finding hope in the journey is <clears throat> trusting in the Lord's timing. And I was thinking about that when you were talking about when you were diving and you yeah. know, headed down that staircase and <clears throat> things stopped and you didn't know why. And I'm thinking now it's very easy <clears throat> in a moment like that or or other moments in our lives where we may feel, really desperate, like, I can't wait for the Lord's timing, I've got to get yeah. out of here. or, I know, I you know, know, and that someone that maybe um has just lost their job, or, you know, is in some other circumstance, well, yeah, I mean, I sort of trust in the Lord's timing, but I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table next month, you know, right, and so, uh what is your <laughs> answer to that, that I, gosh, I, you know, I've got to breathe and I've got to, you know, I'm stuck here in this spot in this ship and right. what am I supposed to do?
2: Right. Right. I mean, like we talked about earlier, you know, it's, it's in action. We can't pray our circumstances away, tucked under covers and just hope that it's going to change. We need to get out on our feet and make things happen so that the Lord can use us in that action and and help that along, um, I can give you an example of a um, something in my own life that right now I am learning patience in his timing in a big way. So I've got four um, adult married kids and and a couple of those kids have left um, the church, and one in particular um, who uh, she's got three adorable of my eleven grandchildren. And they have have not only left the church, but they are raising those children in now an atheist home. And so the righteous desire of my heart, right, is that those children understand who Jesus is, but they don't know who Jesus is right now. And so my righteous prayer every day is that I want, in my timing, right, I want those children in primary this Sunday. That's not happening. And so, but my prayer continues to be there and I continue to have hope and and faith and that that's going to happen, but I've turned it over to the Lord. It's in his timing. And um, I have to just trust that there are lessons that my daughter and her husband need to learn. There are lessons that those children are going to learn. There are lessons that I am continuing to learn. And so what do I do? I just I do whatever I can to take action, which is to love those children, to love my daughter and her husband, and to be an example without throwing it in their face, to just love them and be an example of what I believe and to have a respect for what they choose to do. And then just to continue to fast and pray for this family, right? And so I'm taking action in the only way that I know how. Um, I have this little tiny statue of Jesus. I'll show you right here that okay. just sits here on my desk in the den. And when those children come, um, to visit, they pick that statue up. And a couple of times they've said to me, do you really, do you really believe in Jesus? Cause in our house, we don't. And it gives me the opportunity to say, you know, yes, yes. I do believe in Jesus and he makes me so happy. And um, I can tell, I, I can they just sit and they just look at me when I say that, right? And this this little statue has some marks. They've taken some markers and, you know, as they're playing, drawing me pictures, they accidentally, you know, nick Jesus's robe. And so it's not perfectly white. It's got some little marks on it, but I will never get rid of that because that's a conversation piece. That's something that I can do that's small, right? That I can do as those grandchildren come into my home and they see me working at my desk and they see this little, this little tiny two inch tall figure of Jesus. And there's just little things that I can do as well as love those children. And so to, to anyone else who's facing something that they're praying for a righteous desire of their own heart, whatever that might be, continue to look for what can I do to to move this along and trust that the Lord will bless you when he needs to bless you and when the timing is right. It's hard. It's a hard lesson for all of us.
0: Yeah. And I'd like to just add in here the power of yet. Like when something that we really want hasn't happened,
2: Mm -hmm. sometimes
0: we might be tempted to give up on it. To stop right. doing those little things, stop even bothering because it hasn't happened. But if we yeah. can add yet, then we are adding that hope, that faith, that miracle that can happen through God's timing. Yes. When, we, when we make sure that yet is there.
2: Yeah. And of course, um, to to push the to push the boundary even further. We all remember the Book of Mormon story where um where you know the, the disciples talk about, but if not, I mean, those three words, right? But if not, I will trust and I will follow the Lord. But if not, I will still trust and be true. And so there's gonna be some but if nots in our own lives where things are not going to happen. But if not, will you still trust and will you still be true? Perhaps, you know, we don't know the understanding, we don't see. I like to think of our lives as a chessboard And we are moving the pieces and Heavenly Father is moving his own pieces. And we have no idea what that's going to look like. And it's dependent on all kinds of moves on the board. And all you can do is show up and be on the board. Just show up and continue to do what you can. And trust that Heavenly Father sees the whole vision of the game and that he's going to help you succeed. Even though it may look very different than what you have prayed for
1: and you may have those moments when you're and I'm speaking figuratively when you're stuck in that stairwell scuba diving yeah and you don't have something come to you cut your breathing in half or right you know you're kind of feels like you're on your own um even then um there may be fear there may be anxiety but I but there's a sense in which I think you can call upon what you know that somehow the Lord will will work this out. You know yeah. so that, that yeah. this right he knows what he's doing, he knows how to do his own work, and you may not know how those children are going to ultimately come to know the savior, but you can still believe it because mm-hmm. you believe in a God that's bigger than. Right problem. Yeah, I just
2: have to trust. It's just something I have to turn it over. And for so many of us, there are big issues in our life that we have to just turn it over. Yeah. And trust.
0: Yeah, definitely. And we had to do that when we were single and searching. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes we've looked back and thought, okay, well, like we could have met sooner, but no, we were being prepared for each other. Mm -hmm. And there was no other way right. and And that was the way, and it definitely wasn't what we thought we wanted, yes. but we absolutely want our marriage more than anything now. But back then, we didn't know what we were going towards, right, right. Yeah, you guys are a great example of
1: all that. Thank you. All right. Some other interesting words. What does it mean to stand on the shoulders of giants?
2: Well, we all need examples in our lives. And so often we can look back in our own family histories, but not always. Some of us don't have ancestors that were strong members that just, you know, pioneer heritage. I mean, my husband is a convert, he doesn't have pioneers in his history, but he's got some incredible people that fought really hard to get to this country from Russia you know, way back, many, several generations back. And so when you stand on the shoulders of giants, you take what you learn from people in your family or from others who have had a real influence in your life. And you say to yourself, if they can do that, then I can do this. And um, that's that's part of why I write these books Is is so many people, so many times people email me and say, Okay, my own pity party is over because if, you know, if she can do that or if he can do that, depending on the book that they've read and the the story, you know, I can do that. I can do this too. I can move forward in my life and I have learned from, you know, this example and I can move forward. So that's what it really, what it is to stand on the shoulders of giants. Those who have come before you, who are inspiring you to be better and to make a difference in your own life.
1: What does praise to the Mount mean? And by the way, for any of our listeners, I'm I'm using phrases out of her book, Finding Hope in the Journey.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's just, um, I think of that in terms of, you know, because I'm a hiker, despite what's happening around me as I'm hiking up, you know, metaphorically, as I'm hiking up a really steep trail, can I still find gratitude in my heart? As the tears are rolling down my face, can I still feel gratitude in my heart for my Heavenly Father and for my blessings? Do I have the ability to do that, to reach out? When um, when I've gone through some really hard times in my life, sometimes gratitude prayers are what pull me up out of the hole that I'm currently in. And sometimes that's all I can do is be grateful for. I've, I've said prayers in really low times in my life. I've said prayers for a pillow, for a warm blanket, and for a hot water heater. You know, I'm talking about going down to the basics. And some people in other parts of the world don't even have those things. What are they praying for? They're finding gratitude for moments or things in their life that are helping them to survive each day. So finding that praise while you're in the midst of that really hard hike that's praise to the mount.
1: Yeah, I also like hiking and I've experienced that same kind of feeling and then you get to the top and it's so exhilarating, you know, you yeah. take that big deep breath and Right. and look out, you know, the payoff is different with every hike, but Yeah. But uh yeah, I think that's that's an insightful metaphor for life too.
2: Right, right. I think so often, you know, when we're on the trudge or when we're in the trenches or the steep hike, whatever metaphorically that looks like for you, we're sometimes we're in the why me, we're asking why me, why me, you know, in whatever is going on in your life, why me? And as we ascend to the top and we've completed that hard hike, you know, at some point in there, we we turn that around and we say, what now? And why me? I think that transition is critical for each of us. Several times throughout our lives, we are going to go through that process of why me to what now? And in that in that situation of what now, we are turning, our, we're turning back towards the Savior and saying, okay, I've been through this hard thing. You know, do I have a new gift? Am I ready to make an influence on someone else? What is my next move? Where do you want me to be? That's the what now. And it's important that we climb out of that pity party, which is the why me, which is, you know, we we need to be there for a little while and to just grovel around in the mud and try to figure ourselves out. You know, like process
0: our feelings. It's a process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, It's funny too, because I think there are these moments when we kind of almost feel like we've arrived at the mountaintop, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think about, you know, gosh, after I got divorced, I tried a few different things to resurrect my career. I had had a a business that didn't really work out because my mind was focused. Well, it worked out for a long time, but then I was focused on my deteriorating marriage and not paying as much attention to my business as as I really needed to. And I tried several things after that over several years to try to get back on track. And it was so difficult. And then I had a career opportunity sort of come out of nowhere. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I went to Texas and I was there three years. And I remember just how good it felt to be on that mountaintop, even though I didn't love the job or the right. opportunity. I was I had a moment to breathe, to look out, to feel like I was not on the sidelines of life anymore. And I could pay my bills, you know, I could go out to eat once in a while. I mean, just that little bit of, of extra breathing room felt really good. And then, you know, three years into that experience, I had worked my way up into a corporate job. And the price of oil dropped precipitously and I got laid off. And you would think, well, gosh, when everything was going right or how it felt like it would be right for me, Mm -hmm. um, I would have, you know, I could see myself increasing and growing. and, And then something happens and you think my life no longer makes sense. And I can look now back on that and think, well, but now I'm in a a better place and making more money than I did then and having more fulfilling work. So, okay. Life makes sense again. Mm -hmm. But you know, there could come other times when the same thing could happen to me again. I mean, I hope not, but, but that we're not immune. Once we've been to the top of one mountain to not sliding back down the other side and climbing again, you know? Right,
2: right. I mean, we've all seen the graph, right? Where we want we want the our life, the evolution of our life to just be a straight line, right? Back to our, our heavenly <laughs> home. And it's not, we've all seen it, right? It looks like this. And we're like, no, I don't want it to
0: look like that. I
2: just want the straight path.
0: And did you and know that the straight and narrow is actually not straight?
2: Yes. It's not, it's As not a straight Iraq. line,
0: right? Yeah. Right. It's always something like we assumed what meant like straight, I know not straight. I it's know. actually, um, I believe the straight that, the, that, um, cause it's a different spelling. It's a, yes. it's actually S-T-R-A-I-T. A, S-T-R-A-I-T. Like the
1: Straits mm-hmm. of Magellan. it's a different meaning.
0: Yeah. So
1: your straight path could actually be bobbing and weaving in between all these obstacles. It's exactly dangerous.
0: Obstacle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In
2: primary, we just think that we have all the right answers and it's going to just be so easy. Right. Then we become adults and ah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) so if it's messy folks, it's it's that's life. And that is the way it is.
2: You're on the right track if it's messy. Right.
0: Well, yeah. And I love what you said earlier. And it goes with what Jeff was just saying is that if your life is falling apart again or for the first time, but many for many of us again, um, And you think that you're off track, it's maybe setting you up for bigger blessings. Like you said, right. like it, it may just be like in the small little things that are actually setting you up.
2: Yeah. And it just may be something you said, Jeff, about moments too. I really believe it's in the moments that can make a difference. And a moment may not even be a situation that solves what your current you know, dilemma is or your, the, what's really affecting your life. It may not even solve it. But it may be just a glimmer of hope and to be heard where you know that God hears you, right? I can give you an example from my own life. I had a son that came home early from a mission to Novosibirsk, Russia. He was in the MTC 11 weeks, and then he came home from the MTC. He never got on the plane to go to Russia. And so that devastated me as mama Bear. Because I saw his hurt and his pain, and he wasn't going to go back. And that affected that that ripple, affected everything, right? I saw him turned upside down in his life. I thought to myself, I can pray this boy back on this mission. I have enough faith to pray him back. Well, that didn't happen. So, what that did was that put me in a little bit of a faith crisis, right?
1: But you can't pray away somebody else's urgency.
2: Yeah, but I was like, I, I know him so well and I love him so much that I think I can do this. And of course that didn't happen. And uh, one day I was having one of my really hard hikes and I was here in Utah. We had recently picked him up from the MTC and he was just in our home and we're trying to figure out what to, where to go next and what to do. And um, I was having one of my all out bawling prayers where I was you know, on a hard hike, right? The harder, the better that day. I just want to sweat it out. And so I'm hiking along and I'm praying about my son and I'm thinking to myself, are you even there, Heavenly Father, right? Are you even hearing me? Do I matter? And um, all of a sudden, as I was walking, I'm not kidding. The, um, as I'm walking along this trail and there's tall yellow grass on the sides and out of the grass comes one white butterfly. And I watched it kind of, you know, as I'm crying and praying, and I watch it kind of swirl around in front of me. And all of a sudden, here comes another one and another one. And I'm not kidding you guys. There was probably 50 butterflies, white butterflies that came out of that tall yellow grass. And it, they encircled me. They swarmed around me as I continued to hike up that trail. And then after just a few, you know, maybe half of a minute, they fluttered back away into the grass. I can testify to you that that was a moment that changed me and that didn't solve the issue, right? It didn't put my boy back on a mission. It didn't change the circumstances of his life, but what it did is it let me know that God was aware of me and he was aware of my son and that we both mattered.
1: What a great little sign of grace.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I will never forget that. You know, Someone can tell me that that was a coincidence. That was not a coincidence. That has never happened to me since. And um, I regard it as one of the most sacred events in my entire life.
0: That's
1: really beautiful.
2: It was was necessary for me at that time. It wasn't what I was praying for, Mm -hmm. but it was what I needed. Yeah. Right? And isn't that so often the case? We're praying for something, and sometimes we get a moment that is about something else but it's something that we need
0: yeah and you know sometimes it comes even without praying for it for instance i've noticed that on the rare occasion because most of the people we've attracted to our love in later years community are so so positive and so insightful and i just we've attracted really amazing people who really (laughs) want to make their lives better and move forward with faith and confidence and um and yet they've dealt with hard things and we're fa- We're tackling those hard things together as a group. Right. right. Um, but every once in a while we get someone who doesn't understand what we're doing or our intentions, and they might say something negative <laughs> for whatever reason. I think it's usually some, we must've touched on an emotional sunburn of their own, you know, and they're hurting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes it, it hurts, you know, like when we're trying so hard to serve, like with our whole hearts and, um, I've I've started just noticing that every single time that happens, which is like I said, it's not very often mm-hmm. within 24 hours, someone shows up and says the exact opposite thing to me. Yeah. Like they in the positive, that. like like and, and like it's uncanny, like how completely yeah. on and, and I never I never say what was said. I never share that, not before or after the comment is made. It's completely independent. And yeah. that's such a gift for me and a sign from heaven, like just help, encouraging us to continue on. and to Right. Just because you're though. in your calling, you're in your calling and look at the lives that you're affecting in your calling. You're
2: making a real difference in the world. I see that too. I see my, um, my books as a calling. I'm on a calling. It's mm-hmm. not something that my Bishop called me to, but mm-hmm. I know that I'm on a calling Yeah, to do what I'm doing. And the same thing, once in a while I'll get some snarky comment on social media or you know something will someone will say something about one of the books and same thing. I get a reinforcement so quickly afterwards mm-hmm. that reinforces this is why I'm doing this. I need awesome. to keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So tell me about your Liberty Jail. I have some idea what you might mean there, but but let's hear you describe it.
2: My Liberty Jail?
1: Well, it comes from chapter eight in your first book, Your Liberty Jail, under Hope and Anchor to the Soul. Yeah,
2: I mean that can be that. Can, I'm, unfortunately, I think we have a number of Liberty Jail moments in our lives, not I have. just one. Yeah. I have not just one certainly when you um, say
1: god where art thou and yeah where, where are you i mean one of them was place?
2: was certainly on that hike you know when the, when the butterflies came and surrounded me that was absolutely a liberty jail moment um i've had some real um hard moments with depression that have been crippling to me uh, after my first child was born i i got into a really dark place where I was actually crawling under her crib and and laying in fetal position in the corner under her crib. That's a pretty dark moment where where you're just praying and saying, get me out of this. How do I get out of this situation? And so I think we all have those Liberty Jail moments where we have to reach out and reach up and um, look for what the meaning is and what are we supposed to do now with this and sometimes we stay in that jail cell a little longer than we want most often we do we're there longer than we want but um you come out eventually you come out with with such a gift and such a an amazing way to make a difference in the world from where you've been and so once the lessons are learned i think we are lifted up out of that situation.
0: Well, and as coach, you know, as, as coaches, um, we work with our clients on trying to learn those lessons as quickly as possible so we can get out of that gel. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that Is always a fast process, but we do certainly think that it's a faster process if we're intentional about it and we're looking for those lessons and we're trying to learn them and and shift our stories about our experience to better serve us so that we can move forward as as soon as we can. Yeah. In the depth of that
2: experience, our hearts are generally hard and crusty, right? I mean, they are just closed off. We become very focused on just us because we're in survival mode at that point. Mm And really the transition is, if you can just picture a crusty, dark heart softening and becoming that light, healthy pink <laughs> that the doctors like to see in a healthy hearts, think of it as a softening and an open heart where we all of a sudden we open and we, we are looking outward instead of always focused inward. The, the trial may not have left, but your heart can change within the trial. And that's where the real growth happens. And that's, I, love that. I think, the coming out of that hole in your life or that cell. You know, yeah. another,
1: another thing I would add to that insight is that sometimes, well, you know how Master Yoda said to Luke Skywalker, you must unlearn what you have learned. Sometimes even with our understanding of the gospel, we have to understand that we have to unlearn things we've learned, like the the example you gave a few minutes ago with in primary we taught that it was all so easy and you know Mm -hmm. if uh, we just were good boys and girls and ultimately good men and women that things would work out for right
2: or like we were taught well i was taught in young women's if you get married in the temple then it's peachy right i mean you've done it it's it's good for the rest of your life you have and so why should there ever be a, a divorce of two people that are married in the temple Right. You've got to unlearn that,
1: right? Yeah. And so there's all kinds of things we have to mm-hmm. unlearn. Even some beliefs we had that could have may have been deeply held, mm-hmm. but we find that they get us stuck over and over again, um, because even though we we made it through a particular experience, right? That surfaces again. And I, you know, I have a a client that I coach right now who. Is in her 40s and never married and feels, you know, kind of left behind by life, uh, even though she's got a lot of good things going on. But um, she shows up to a relationship and it gets to a certain point and she gets frightened and pulls back and says, I'm not feeling the way I think I should feel. So I guess this isn't right. Move on. Mm -hmm. Well. One thing that that has impressed me about this is that in her situation and in many people's situation, the anxiety that you feel or whatever doesn't come from outside you. It's something you're carrying around, and somebody else might trigger it, or right. you know. But but you can get out of that situation, and momentarily you'll feel relief. But you're still carrying that around inside mm-hmm. of you, uh, even if you know, even if you don't feel it at the moment. Right. And I think sometimes that's, that's a hard thing to say, oh, it really isn't everyone else making me feel a certain way. It's me feeling a certain way. Yeah. Um, if I could say one more thing on Liberty Jail, I think Joseph could have looked at his experience in Liberty Jail and, and thought, you yeah, know, my people are being run out of Missouri um, they're living in a swamp in Illinois I'm stuck here in this prison and I can't do anything to help them you know my life has no meaning now well some interesting things came out about that but I mean while he's in Liberty Jail he prophesied the ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name And you know you think if he in a obscure jail cell on the frontier of america was prophesying that the world would inquire the the ends of the earth would inquire after his name excuse me the you know either he was a prophet or he was the most presumptuous man that ever lived Mm -hmm. um and then we look at the revelations he received there like the doc in the doctrine and covenants um <clears throat> section 121 was was received there and so in a moment when he could easily have interpreted there's no meaning in my life right now I'm right. just waiting to for the next thing or to die well maybe we're missing it the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years that's where they met God mm-hmm. and you know I remember an, an experience on my mission when I I thought I was getting nowhere. I mean, I, I, my previous companions had all been pretty good missionaries and we had taught discussions regularly and had success. And then this companion, you could hardly get him out of bed, you know? And the only thing I could really get him to do was member visits. So I started working with the less active families. Mm -hmm. And, 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 there was one family we met during that period that we were able to help come back to church. And after Facebook got started, I found them again. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the husband had been in two stake presidencies. They had had three or four kids go on missions. They had, they had a certain number of grandkids. They had had two more kids after we last contacted them. And, I was talking to one of the daughters in that family uh, one night on line, and we were figuring out the number of people that had come to Christ from my working, me and my companion working with that family for two months. Yeah. And it was over 30 people. And I think that was in a moment in my mission when I thought that nothing made any sense. I wasn't having success. I didn't feel like I was doing any good. Right. And yet that was actually a super important moment. Yeah. And sometimes It just we didn't know. look
2: like what you thought it was supposed to look like.
1: Exactly. I was yeah. in my liberty jail, but I didn't couldn't see it like that at the right. time.
2: Yeah. That happens over and over for us throughout our lives, really.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't seem like,
0: it doesn't seem like a coincidence. It's Liberty jail. I think that's amazing. You use that term because really, I think when we're in our own Liberty jails, we're, we're feeling a loss of our Liberty to receive righteous desires of our hearts. Yeah. And that's hard. It's really hard.
2: Yeah. But it's essentially a classroom, right? Our jail is a classroom. It's a celestial classroom. Mm-hmm. And those are the hardest courses,
1: <laughs> right?
2: Sometimes. Those are really
1: hard courses to pass. And now, if I if I ever figure out a way to make all of the adversity of mortal life go away, besides dying, um, and even then it doesn't completely go away, I suppose. But if I ever come up with that, or if I reach that mountaintop, I, I'll be sure to share it with all yeah. of you. Yeah, but not gonna happen, I it,
2: yeah, not gonna happen. Did Christ have no adversity?
1: No. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, it, he he,
2: it, he had he had all kinds of adversity, and we're right. following in his footsteps, so it's part yeah. of the course. Well, and I mean, part
0: of um something I'd never really totally understood until I experienced it yeah. is the loss of spirit that he felt. I mean, and he was perfect; there was no fault in at all that he he lost access to the spirit, and I experienced that through some physical disabilities like for a, a, several years and it was scary because I had gone to the temple I'd done my spiritual reserve like I'd done all the things you're supposed to do to make sure that you know you've got that reserve if thing hard things happen but it was just so prolonged and so significant that I just I, I was completely numb and I couldn't feel it and I think it just kind of came back gradually over time as I started serving to the capacity I could with the little tiny bit of energy I had and I couldn't force it and I couldn't make it happen but it helped me connect with him about that Mm -hmm. that he experienced that so he would know what it felt like for us as humans to lose the spirit whether it's through sin or not right right
1: yeah so those those liberty jail moments I think and I I want you to comment on this, but I think the way that the best way to move to to move through those experiences and let's face it, all of us eventually <laughs> succumb and we do die. But the way to move through those experiences in in mortality is to understand that God's in charge yeah. and that all things work together for good to them that love him. That doesn't mean that it's always going to be peaches and cream um there will be adversity and so forth but even when we're in the middle of adversity wandering the wilderness in liberty jail whatever the situation may be with a bad mission companion that doesn't want to work i Mm -hmm. mean whatever that situation may be knowing that god's in charge that no storm lasts forever you know that that he is is guiding us and if we um continue to cling to that faith ultimately we will feel that different
2: right and feed that faith right we have to feed that faith like like you had said Kathy you found it, it looked different for that period in your life of how you fed your faith you're only able to do certain things because of your you know physical disability there but um, so it looks different and so I think throughout our lives what what it looks like in my twenties and what it looks like in my thirties and my forties. And now I'm 60 and, and, and it looks a little different than it used to in my earlier years. So we need to continue that's evolving. That's a whole process of finding what does that look like to feed that kind of faith? Mm-hmm. Otherwise um, the world will discourage you from that faith.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I just have loved our conversation about hope and miracles. I think that's such an important thing for people who are in Liberty jail right now or who are struggling with, um, you know, being in a place they didn't think they ever would and didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this conversation has been really enlightening for them. And I hope we get a lot of listeners and um, that it it gives that hope um, and that it helps provide truly miraculous things to happen in people's lives through, you know, like the action, like you said, taking action on spiritual inspiration that we do get doing those little things that we can do in our situations.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Yeah, Yeah. It can make all the difference. I love, um, there's a quote by Jeffrey Holland that I love and I love him because he's bold and he's, um, just says it right out there. And, and he mentioned once, um, I often use it in some of my presentations. He talks about, may we declare ourselves to be more fully disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the clincher here is, he says, not just in the flush of comfortable times, right? When things are great, right? You're signing up for all kinds of service opportunities. But he says, including when the path is lonely and when the cross is difficult to bear. That's the real test is, can we be a disciple of Christ when the cross that we're carrying or two or three that are strapped to our back when it's difficult to bear see that makes it not about the cross cuz we're all carrying them they're inscribed with different things right with physical emotional spiritual things that are real hard things in our life it's not about the cross that we're carrying it's about the commitment to be mm-hmm. a disciple while we carry the cross because we've all got them we've all got the crosses
1: now yeah, jesus the warned us there. Jesus warned us as disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you.
2: Yeah, see. And
1: so he's, but there there is an there is a flip side to that, which I think is is also important to consider. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And, and and he ends up saying, and such shall find rest to their souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think, well, what wh- what would that matter if if uh, if I'm not even in a yoke? But I think what he's saying is, no, you're in a yoke, mm-hmm. and if I'm pulling on the other side, yeah, then you got um uh, you got an important. A really important strengthening influence, and so even if that plowing that furrow feels really hard, you know his footprints are in the sand, so to speak. Yeah. he's on the know other that he's side right that there.
2: Hill. He's right next right to you, right beside you.
1: Yeah, so he's aware other, of everything. The other harness in the yoke. So yeah. I think that's, I think that's again that faith that if things are bad, they will get better. You know, and uh, and the more we focus on them getting better instead of focusing on them getting worse, um, the sooner it will be, you know, you'll be back to feeling better, but right. uh, And
2: trust that it just may look different than what you think the definition of better is. It may look different than that. Trust that the savior has that in your best interest.
1: I think about Meg Johnson. I, you know who that is? Mm -hmm. She, uh, She's talked sometimes about when she got into this horrible accident um, out in the desert and, and, you know, broke her back and everything that she, uh, looking better would have been to, in her mind at that time, was to be able to walk again. Yeah. And she, she said instead, you know, I have an opportunity to give people hope that can't walk or have other problems.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: And that, that's what better looks like for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and sometimes I think that's true with us too. I mean, I had all kinds of plans when I was a young man or a kid, and not all of them have worked out 100% like I. You know, wanted,
0: and that kind of goes back full circle to what we said in the beginning, that Aram's heart has been open, open his whole life to whatever God wanted to open to him. Yes. And but yeah, what does that look um, like, Amram?
2: I don't know. God is, hasn't shown me yet. <laughs> I <don't
0: know. laughs> but Can I know we all he just will. have the faith of Amram. Yeah. Because but but I know he will because he always has. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think it was interesting that it went through his mind, you know, I want to follow Christ, be baptized, but I might die today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and that sounds silly to us, you know, but to a to a kid who's you know, kind of a baby in the faith, a new, Mm -hmm. new, you know, that would take a tremendous amount of faith to think, right, gee, my parents and everybody I trusted growing up told me that that's what would happen if I, right,
2: right, exactly. So yeah, hopefully we can all sort of visualize and trust that there's a bridge of miracles for each one of us in our own lives. And those, those miracles are maybe very small and, and unnoticed by the world, but in our heart, we may see those as turning points and moments where God is aware of us. And those are all little miracles. And if we take that bridge of miracles, truly that's going to bring us joy in our life to know
0: that we're not here alone. The Savior is yoked right there next to us. And build our hope in that process mm-hmm. of continuing to see miracle after miracle, even if they're small and incremental, mm-hmm. it builds our hope.
1: Right, Yeah, right. I've, I've been quoting part of the title of Heidi's book uh, throughout this, this program. But I, I should quote it all. I, I've been saying finding hope in the journey. And then there's a subtitle, Recognize His Message. And I think that is sort of implicit in how you go about finding hope in the journey. So Heidi, we thank you for being uh, on the the program and for the the hope inspiration and and faith that you have shared. Uh, Thank did you. you have any more anything more that you were wanting to say that you haven't had the opportunity to? I don't
2: think so. I think we've covered a lot. You guys are awesome. Right. This has just been a pleasure to be with you and um, if your if your audience wants to connect with me, you can the best way to do that is heidetucker.com. There you can email okay. me, you can yeah, contact me, you can see um, different media and different links to, m- to what I've done. My my books are there. If you want to look at some of my books, um, it's all there at HeidiTucker.com. And of course, my books are also available at Deseret Book and on Amazon. Okay. So I'm easy to reach and I'd be all happy right. to I'd be happy to talk with any of your listeners.
0: Well, thank you so much,
1: Heidi, and uh, thanks to all of you who tuned in. I want you to remember that any time is a great time for more love in your life.
0: Thanks for watching and listening. Subscribe to LilyPod and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com.